Welcome to Demons Discuss, the unofficial podcast about the All Souls universe and the topics that orbit it. We are your hosts, Angela, Jean, and Valerie. I am Valerie, and with me is Angela and Jean. Hello, ladies. Hello. Hello, everyone. But we are not alone. <gasps> oh, <gasps> art. oh, no, we're not. <laughs> Angela, why don't you tell us who we have with us? Today, we have with us one of the UK's preeminent and most widely celebrated TV producers. She's a co-founder of Bad Wolf and an executive producer of shows like The Night Of, His Dark Materials, Succession, Industry, and of course, she's an EP of our beloved Discovery of Witches. She has yet to say if she's demon, witch, vampire, or mere human, but today <laughs> we're going to welcome to the podcast the incomparable Jane Tranter. Hello, Jane Tranter. How are you? I'm very, very good. Thank you, Demons Discuss. Very good. How are you? We're thrilled to be here with you. Uh, pinching myself. <laughs> Didn't think we'd see this day. Our intro lists a long list of illustrious credentials for Jane, but truly I know her as a person who made my dreams and wishes come true with the Discovery of Witches. So thank you. Yes. Oh, that's my pleasure. It's uh, a Discovery of Witches is such a special project for all of us at Bad Wolf. It was the first piece we've embarked on. And I know as the mother of twins, I know you shouldn't have favorites, <laughs> but at Bad Wolf, it was our firstborn. So it, it retains that status and affection and love. All right. So the first thing I'm going to ask you, COVID was a huge challenge for all of us. How did COVID affect the finishing of season two and working on season three? Okay. We got, we were very lucky on season two and we were very lucky for three reasons. The first one is we had actually finished filming by the time COVID hit. So we were starting on the editorial process of working with directors and editors and working our way through different levels of cuts to fine cuts. We didn't have to cope with what we had to cope with on His Dark Materials or what many other productions had to cope with, which was being shut down and then mm. spending lockdown looking at the sort of tattered remains of what you were left with and wondering what you were going to do. We, we were lucky. We already had the material for 10 episodes in the can. So that was luck mm. number one. Luck number two was that we had a very alert kind of team around us at Bad Wolf. And once we began to know towards the end, it was towards the end of February, beginning of March, it, nothing was looking good. And we had the facilities and we had the enthusiasm from the team and we began to send people and the equipment that they were working with home rather than have them come into the studio. And that wasn't to start socially distancing and having less people in the studio at that time. It was more to ensure that people had their equipment around them right. immediately in the event that some lockdown happened. I think that was when, must have been when the Italian lockdown was beginning to take a really firm grip or something. So we began to send people out. And so we were able to get ahead of it. And we were lucky to be able to do that. And then our really super amazing piece of luck came in the combination of one of the best editors I've ever worked with, Sam Williams, and mm. lovely director, Farron Blackburn. Sam and Farron, completely separately, started socially – well, they went into isolation very early – and Sam was essentially in the middle of the New Forest, took his family to somewhere in the middle of New Forest with all of his avid equipment. And the two of them really worked their way through every single solitary episode. So we had other um, editors and directors all over the place, but the two of them were able to do that kind of finishing polish that inevitably you have to do on a multi-part, multi-episodic series, which is mm. ensure that every episode blends harmoniously with the other. So then they obviously can't all sound the same. You wouldn't do that. That would be, you know, very boring, but to ensure they all work as a whole. So we were really lucky that Sam and Farron were doing nothing else other than the editorial and the overall post on a discovery of witches that they got into their own private sort of isolation early and that they are as super talented as they are and could really help lead us through. So we were lucky on all of those things. And then the other thing is that we were very lucky it was the second season and not the first. Tonally, A Discovery of Witches was a really 
interesting journey to find out what its screen tonality was going to be. When you read the book, everyone's got their different images of all of the characters, all of the locations, though Deb is so vivid and how she describes them. But, you know, where you would place it on, on a tonal spectrum, and we talked about this endlessly, you know, where would you place Discovery of Witches? Is it, is it, you know, in a, in a sort of lighter or darker, where is it? And yeah. we found that placement for a discovery of witches in the post-production, really, of season one. And so we'd already wrestled that bit of the beast, if you like, to the ground, which meant that in season two, everyone, it wasn't just me, everyone was able to have a shared vision of what the tonality should be because we'd seen it on the screen in season one. So we were very lucky on season two, I think. And those episodes, we knew each other well enough. A lot of the post team on season two had worked on season one. So we were able to work remotely and still work in a joined up fashion. And have that cohesiveness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Rob Lane, we already knew where we were going with the music. Again, that took a while to, to work through exactly how we wanted it to be. And again, it's not the same for every season, but we got the themes, we got the heart of it. So it made what could have been a very difficult situation a hell of a lot easier on a discovery of witches. Filming in COVID, altogether different thing on season three. I imagine. Yeah. Now that was probably one of the most difficult things I have done because I couldn't be there. There was a very, we were filming right the way through the eye of the COVID storm. We started filming in September 2020 when cases were beginning to grow again in the UK after mm -hmm. the summer. I think it's fair to say the UK, despite its government saying it's world beating and test and trace was actually world failing. It was world beating and that our numbers were worse than anyone else's, I guess. And it was, COVID was growing and we had to, we spent a lot of the summer preparing how we were going to film and keep everyone safe while getting season three to the screen. And that demanded a huge amount of the uh, team at Bad Wolf and how we work within Wolf Studios to keep everybody separate right up until the point where filming was starting, how we kept the sets, everything clean, how sanitized. We kept people in very strong bubbles. They had particular yeah. corridors in which they walked on and off set. We tested repeatedly the whole time. We were really tough. We had, you know, people who were just dedicated to making sure everyone had their masks on, everyone was socially distanced. Not that anyone wanted to take their masks off, to be clear, but just to make sure that your protocols were followed. We begged and pleaded with everybody not to mix outside of filming. Right. In fact, it actually worked to our favor. We filmed quite a bit, a couple of national lockdowns. And mm -hmm. that made it easier for us. So when everything else oh, was sure. closed, yeah, it was mm -hmm. easier. Yeah. We had, obviously we had cases of COVID and then it was a question of how many people are we taking out with each case? But we did well and filming took about two weeks longer than it should have done. Yeah. But, um, because we had to keep stopping, but we were able to keep going. I think that we have two real challenges to face apart from the sort of practicalities of how do you keep, and my primary concern was how do we keep everyone safe? And yeah. after that, it was how do we ensure that the materials are the quality that it needs to be? And I couldn't, I, I had a, a device fitted where I could look at, I could tune in to what they were doing on set from where I was, which was ought to have been good. But actually, when it comes to it, it reminds you that watching filming is like watching paint dry and your ability to intercept when you're looking at everything remotely is null and void. You have to be there in the moment to get speak to a director and get them to speak to an actor or to speak to the set decorator or whatever it is. And it just actually felt like I was spying on everybody rather than doing anything that was mutually helpful in any way. So I stopped doing that. But you, you, all you could do was wish everybody well and cheer them on their way. We were very blessed in our wonderful producer but really, I think we had two things. One was that in order to encompass the extraordinary costs of COVID and in order to get us through it, we felt almost the whole time that we were trying to outrun COVID. 
we went from an eight episode commission to a seven episode commission. Yeah. And Ugh. this is on a novel, which is depending on which version you read. But in my book, it was something like 648 pages that we yeah. had to do oh, yes. in seven, seven episodes. Yeah. And it's fast paced too. Yeah. So that made me want to cry, obviously. And how do you do that and still get the wonderful texture and detail that Deb brings to the books and the characters? We were already working our way through how you deal with that wonderful texture and detail in season one and season two, eight Minus episodes COVID. and 10 episodes. Yeah, Minus right. COVID, exactly. So how do you still get that? How do you still get that sense of pace into the episodes? And by pace, I don't mean velocity. Often a discovery of witches in its TV form really lingers. It wallows mm -hmm. a bit. It's very sensual. And how do you do that when you've only got seven episodes and the characters have to speak plot the whole time in order to yeah, kind of sure. like get through? So yes. one, one, one was how we deal with that. And we're still looking at that and talking to our wonderful broadcast partner about how we deal with that and how we make sure that the episodes can have as much breadth as, as possible to let everything breathe a bit. And the other thing was that our usual foreign filming was denied us. We couldn't go yeah. to Italy and film all, all right. the normal things that we would do, mm -hmm. either in Venice or Sector. We had these huge plans of going to New Orleans. Yeah. yeah. We couldn't do any of that. And we had to take a kind of a long beat and think, all right, do we just continue and work in the way that I know that the um, heads of department and crew could, and I knew that they could pull off these things it, through the studio. We built all sorts of extraordinary things in that Wolf Studios. I knew we could do it, but I knew it was going to be tough. We did do it, but then on top of not being able to go to all of those locations, we then, the foreign locations, we then often found it very hard to access the locations, even in Wales itself during lockdown. And scenes that you would normally always go on location for in a church, for example, you suddenly had to recreate in a studio or do something different. And we were blessed. Your discovery of witches, we have got six sound stages in Wool Studios. A discovery of witches was going to use two, three max. And we ended up spreading all over it. And we were able to because it was there lying. Nothing else was there. But it's meant that we are now providing scale and spectacle in a different way. We've gone off and we've shot material, more like we do on His Dark Materials, actually, where right. we, we never sent actors and children to the sort of Arctic wastelands in His Dark Materials. We send a visual effects director and drones and helicopters and things. Um, right. And then you put it all together. We are approaching it much more like that on this third season, which I was sorry for because there's a huge difference between those two shows. A Discovery of Witches is set in our world and His Dark Materials is in a fantasy world. So if it looks a little heightened, it doesn't matter. But the whole point of A Discovery of Witches is that it's here. But I don't think you'll notice um, I share these things because they're fun behind the scenes glimpses right. of what it is we do. But our pledge to all the viewers is that we will work on this till the blood runs from our fingertips in order to ensure that you can still look at it and go, whoa, there's in a boat going to the congregation island, even though right. she never was. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. Wow. Good enough for us, I'm sure. <laughs> right. right. I've got a My question turn. that's going all the way back to the beginning. Why a discovery of witches? You've personally have been attached to this project for longer than Bad Wolf has been. What is it about these books for you? They just work so brilliantly, I think, on different levels. So I love the fact that there is a very rich drama that starts with a enthusiastic academic taking a book out of the Bodleian Library in Oxford. And I love books. I've built a lot of my television career adapting books. And I love libraries. And mm -hmm. I was born and brought up in Oxford and I've been in and out of that Bodleian Library since I was tiny. And to think that you could start a fantasy series in that place just really appealed to me. So it had, there was that personal connection to the setting. And then obviously it opens far wider than any place that places that I've been to or things that I could think of. But I loved the fact that it started there. So I was immediately hooked. I love the idea of the 
telling of how it really is for witches, vampires, and demons. I love the idea that these are creatures who have been vilified by human fear and propaganda and Mm. folklore and fairy tale. And that actually we were showing humanity how it's, how it really is. And I thought that was great fun. And I love the way Deb tackles all of that and really grounds it and makes you understand that, that these creatures are not the kind of grand guignol beings that you normally Mm. see them represented. So I loved all of that. And for me, more than anything, what I really loved was the message of the books of acceptance of the other. Mm -hmm. And that is a subject really close to my heart and to encourage people to look at the neurologically diverse, to look at those of different gender, sexuality, race, shape, size, form, whatever it might be, and say that they are all there to be loved and that actually it's only fear that divides us. And I felt, I've said this often, that I felt that through the exploration of different species, through the explorations of witches, vampires, and demons, Deb Harkness had written a love letter to human beings, ironically doing it through looking at other creatures. And I also go further than that. I think through the the way she places them in the world, I think she's also written a love letter to our world. And that really struck a thematic chord with me. And then there's the lusciousness of the fact that television often lacks romance, particularly television made in the UK. And there's a wonderful romantic element that goes all the way through the All Souls trilogy. And I love the idea of bringing a story that has just got such intensity of romantic love to the screen. I feel there's love everywhere in this trilogy and it well you understand it the books are special so it wasn't hard to say oh yes please i can see how we could bring those to the screen from what you describe it seems like it was tailor-made for you yes yeah i in some ways absolutely yes and the good fortune of it coming at a time when i was moving back to the uk and I literally built Wolf Studios to put, you know, a discovery of witches into so we could build the Bodleian Library and Wolf Studios. And sometimes with these things, timing is everything. And, yeah. and the timing really was good. It also came at a time when British television really had nothing like this. And again, the part of the reason why I love the books is I love the way that Deb writes with American swagger which are, you know, Uh um, British writers don't really have. And yet she sets um, so much of it in the UK. And so we can bring all of that American swagger and flamboyance to those kind of like quite more tightly repressed, coiled up British characterization. And that's a great fun thing to do. Uh, We love your stiff upper lips anyway. (laughs) 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 You you just have a different kind of swagger. Yes. Yes. A very small swagger. Yeah. I was going to say, Mr. Good definitely has a swagger. Oh, oh my God. And then some. Yeah. And then you had to make Mr. Purfoy his father. You're trying to kill us. Indeed, indeed. But, you know, that's part of the thing. That's part of the, you know, I love casting. When you're working with those kind of parts that need actors of a certain age, you, they bring baggage with them. And it's how you place that baggage in what role. That is such a good fun thing to do. Replacing Matthew Good as Matthew de Clermont with the baggage that Matthew Good brings, it, it just adds to everything. As does James Purfoy. If it was just James Purfoy alone casting him as Philip, he brings a baggage, which has got such a twinkle yes. in his eye to place mm-hmm. that as in the casting of Philippe. But to put the two of them together, that's oh, kind of, I guess, baggage <laughs> that carries pyrotechnics in it. Uh, I, when, you, when we found out Philippe was James Purfoy, all three of us pretty much lost it. You Surprised oh. you didn't hear us. Oh, yeah. We melted. It's pretty 
Well, given that season one was a complete success, how different was it attracting talent for season two versus season one? Because it's been established. It's a hit already. It was in some ways, it was much simpler. And it was a cast that would very much bespoke. Obviously, they were handpicked, but I knew quite a lot of them already. And we were able to assemble and explain quite carefully what we're doing and where we were placing a discovery of witches and then everyone could see it on the screen. And I think surely that helped James Purfoy think, okay, yes, I want to be part of this. He would have done anyway on season one, I'm sure. But it definitely helped with the actors being someone like Anton Lesser coming in or we've got mm-hmm. amazing actors, Stephen Cree coming in and it's a very large cast and you get amazing actors who come in and do often relatively small little bites. And I think having shown everyone the sort of intensity of commitment to season one, it really helped us pull them in on season two, for sure. I remember Matthew Good saying, recalling in an interview that you, Jane, are a force of nature and you just explaining the foundation of A Discovery of Witches, there was no way that he could say no. So you did a fantastic job with the casting of season one. Yeah, I was really pleased with it. It's always a difficult thing when you're casting from a book adaptation. I always say you have to really cast for the spirit of the character rather than the necessarily the character description, the physical character description. So obviously in the book, you are, your characters are described very vividly by the novelist, particularly by Deb. And yet when it comes to the screen, you can't always go to cast the shape. It's this shape, they've got this color hair, they look like this, they move like that. Because if you do that, you will limit where you can cast from. And you somehow need to really know, try and really know that character. So then you can be free in how you then look, you know, the acting pool that you look into and think, okay, it, it could be them. And I have this very strange thing that even now, when I have one version of the characters, when I read the A Discovery of Witches, not the All Souls trilogy novels, I see my reading characters in my mm-hmm. head. But when I work on the show, on the television adaptation, there I see obviously our actors. And yeah. that's really peculiar. And I, I have to, and it's exactly the same on other adaptations I've worked on. And it's interesting on a trilogy because you get to book two and yet you're still seeing, you're reading Matthew rather than Matthew Good. And you have to try and put the Matthew Good in your head as you, and you work out structure or you put your kind of, this is how we could break the, the season down or whatever it is. But I think that I've learned over the years that the best thing about casting in an adaptation is to really know your stuff and really understand the characters and then be free and then see where you land. Because obviously a lot of the characters aren't, some of them are, you could, oh, okay, I get it. That's what Gallo Gloss looks like for sure. But maybe Agatha doesn't look exactly the same or Isabeau doesn't look exactly the same. And yet your job is to, once they've got under the viewer's skin, that yes, those are my screen characters. That does feel like Isabeau to me. Yeah, especially Isabeau, because I think season one, I still was, because I've been with these books since 2012, as we said earlier. So season one, I was like, I don't think so. But season two, when she came out and she was defending the family and saying all the things and that, especially that line to Gerbert about... Oh, um, the dismissive one? Yeah, well, she's so dismissive (laughs) with him. I'm like, this is the Isabeau I love. This is her. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... That was an interesting conversation because obviously Isabeau is very different in the books, but it's it, it was one of the things that would have felt we couldn't work out on screen. That exists brilliantly. It's astounding. Yes. Coup de theatre, I think, is a piece of writing to have Isabeau as like younger than, than Matthew. And it really adds an element, look younger, but obviously be very much older. Yeah. How you get mm-hmm. that across on screen, it was just, it was a really difficult one. And we spoke at length with Deb about how to deal with that. But then to be able to land an actress of Lindsay Duncan's oh, yes. kind of power. Yeah. But the way I see it, I think that when you have got, when you're adapting a book, particularly books that are as beloved and popular as these, it almost feels to me like the novels of the mothership. They're like the beating heart of the whole Mm -hmm. sort of nucleus. 
But mm-hmm. off that, you begin to grow different things. So off that, you have the audio representation, which maybe is got a voice that you haven't really associated with the sort of narrating voice that you'd had in your own head. You've got yeah. the All Souls Con, you've got Demons Discuss, you've got all sorts of groups and forums, you've got your read-alongs, you've got all sorts of different groups and communities opening up that are things in and of themselves, but only exist because of the mothership. And I right. think in a way, the television adaptation is similar to that. It's like all of the things, it, it, it wouldn't exist without the mothership and it wouldn't exist without that sort of beating heart being alive and it feeling that it was in a healthy close relationship but it isn't the same thing Mm -hmm. and it takes courage and trust to feel that and with with viewers who are also fans because some of our viewers haven't read the books and some of the viewers are passionate about the books. Everyone's got a different relationship with it. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. you lean into things that are really special to fans, but perhaps other viewers might not get. Or sometimes you think, I know real fans of the books are going to get this, but actually we have to explain it to those who haven't Mm -hmm. read. So it becomes just a slightly different shape and it needs to be because television's different from a novel. You're defined in some ways in your adaptation as much by what you leave out as what you keep in as you shape your way through the journey of the characters. Which leads into my question. How do you decide what the shape of your story is? We're dealing with a trilogy that's basically from a single character's point of view, and there's so many things going on outside of her perception. And were you more driven by how the visuals would piece together? Or is it the story arcs? Or did you have an overall thematic box that you would put the pieces in together and work out your whiteboard that way? We have, so season one was, season one was interesting because we had a very clear beginning and a very clear end to the a discovery of Witch's novel. And it has, as I said, it has that kind of binding, that iron bar that runs through the whole thing of the Matthew and Diana relationship. And what we felt we needed to do in season one was just begin to pull at some of the threads, perhaps, that Deb had in the books and just perhaps pull at them a little more firmly. So to open up the piece. And that was done for... Because in the novel, you can have something explained. Diana can explain what, how creatures live or what the congregation is, or, you know, you can just do that in, in passing description in a scene and, and the reader is picking up what's going on. And this is what the world is like where these creatures are hiding in plain sight. And this is what it all means. Um, and they can get the context and a lot of our work was about really firmly establishing the context for the world that Diana and Matthew were inhabiting. And so that's why we pulled some of the characters forward in season one in order for them to be able to carry some of the explanation of how, mm-hmm. what was the hierarchy that the creatures were living within. And then there were certain dramatic things like in screen terms, having, it was, we knew that having Diana and Satu having this huge face off together, this magical battle Mm -hmm. would work much better dramatically if we had shown an audience to Satu before and we had built up to that battle. So it would mean more to them. And from a practical point of view, it meant one, you can cast a better, better actress because it's a bigger role. And two, you, more importantly, probably you can lean in expectantly to get to this place. So when it happens, you've seen the journey of Satu as a witch in microcosm of Diana's journey. And so we'd work through those things and in proper collaboration, with Deb and we'd ask her questions about where would so-and-so be and where would so-and-so be and Deb would be in the writer's room and explaining and helping and filling in and and we would shape it out together. Again, because season one is a pioneer, it's a harder one. Season two was easier in many ways to break down. The only thing we had to work through in season two was how do we keep the, what we kept calling the contemporary characters 
either characters who hadn't time walked. How do we keep those who an audience we knew had really enjoyed in season one? How do we keep those in everyone's mind's eye so that we didn't forget about them? Took us a long time to work out. Do we do a whole episode? which doesn't have Matthew and Diana in it and just has the contemporary characters. We kept talking about these shards where we would put their storylines in amongst the Elizabethan ones. And in the end, we, we did it one way and we shot it. And then we actually kept refeathering it through in, in the edit until we felt that we had best used both the Elizabethan story and the contemporary story to the illumination an enhancement of the other. You did it brilliantly because with both of those contemporary episodes, I don't think, at least for the three of us, we didn't miss Matthew and Diana. We did, but the contemporary episodes were so rich. I think you more than accomplished your goal. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. So my question is, yes, most people, we don't understand what the process is from going from book to script to screen. Could you give us a synopsis of how that works? Yes. the It's different on different productions. But in this instance, I'll do season two, perhaps, because maybe I'll do an amalgamation of the two. But anyway, we would obviously start and, and the broadcaster would say to us on season one, they said eight episodes. On season two, they also said eight episodes. And then after we've been working our way through it, I went back to them and said, actually, we need 10 episodes because we will lose the contemporary if we can't open it up. And wonderfully, Sky said, yes, that's fine. You can have 10 episodes. So you start by deciding how many episodes, working through really just the basic fundamentals of, okay, this is how many episodes we think it would be. And then you track through, it's a very big cast, unusually big for television. And then it's about tracking through, all right, it's really Matthew and Diana who are the, as I keep saying, the iron bar who go through everything, but what's everyone else doing? And you start, you sit in a room with writers and I'm not in that room normally. I will go in and out, but the writers will be there. Deb will be there when she could be. And they would go through and work out outlines of, all right, we roughly think this is what we can include in the season. And then you will have a list of all the bits that you haven't been able to include. So you can just keep checking through and go, okay, well, if we're not in Madison for them, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? And you like roughly settle on what you're going to do and you roughly settle what the order of the storytelling will be. And we go through all of that and we go through all of that with Deb and then the individual writers start writing their episodes. And that's the point when creative chaos can quite nicely. And when the writers <laughs> realize, well, actually, I can't do that like this because I need to do this and because I don't believe that character would do that. So I want to go here and I'm taking too long to do this. And that's when you think, all right, that's fine. But if you're going to change what you're doing in episode three, then that's going to make a difference to episode two and episode four. And a change in one episode has a sort of, it's like a, you know, stone in a pond. It has a sort of ripple effect. And so you keep going, keep going. And it is difficult. There's no doubt about it. All the best novels are difficult beasts to wrestle to the ground. It's why they work so well as novels. Yeah. They were written mm -hmm. as novels, not television pieces. And dumbasses like us come along and try and think, <laughs> well, the audience won't understand this and the audience won't understand that. Yeah. It's very hard not to feel like you're doing something reductive to these great pieces of literature in order to be able to explain to an audience or spend more time with a character or whatever it is. Or often I'm saying you can't, we can't have another character because we can't give them enough to do. If we do that, then, you know, Galaglass isn't going to have enough to do or what, whatever it is because we've only got a set amount of screen time. And so you're moving, but it's a bit like Diana's puzzle board that she brings to her head in mm -hmm. her discovery, mm -hmm. which is you often feel like we're moving all of these kind of like puzzle boards around trying to work out what the solutions are. And then we get them down on the page and then we do draft after draft. And, and we sometimes you do a draft for production reasons. Sometimes you draft because the writer doesn't, you know, don't first quite landed the character right. Sometimes we, you know, we, we miss something and Deb will come in and go, no, 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 no. You know, you've missed this. It's not like that. What are you doing? You know, it's, and, and, or, or I will go in and say, I don't understand. There's not enough subtext or there's too much subtext or we'll all just work the draft. 
drafts and then off we go and the scripts go out to the actors and then the actors will have their notes and then the director will have their notes and then sometimes it changes on the day because the blocking of the scene doesn't work that way or the actors have another way of doing it. I always say about, and maybe I'm a bit wild and woolly on this one, but I always say in that the writing process in a television drama does not finish until the very last note of the sound mix. Because at every point you are storytelling, you're storytelling, you're taking the storytelling in the novel, you're putting it into story breakdown form, you're putting it into outline form, you're putting it into early draft of script form, you're then doing, which is often quite crude, you're then building up the layers as you go from draft to draft to draft, you then put it in the hands of the actors and directors and what happens on set, you then got an editor's assembly and every time that it take it literally takes a village. There are different people putting their own interpretation, narrative, sensibility, character sensibility on it. Then you go into editorial and you look at the episodes and frequently I will move things from one app that was that might have been in episode three, but now it's coming into episode two. Or right. well, that might mm-hmm. be in episode three, but I'm going to make it episode five, or however you do it to try and build up the fluency of the storytelling. And then you, when you finally get to pitch a lot, and then you can often use pieces of ADR for whatever reason, perhaps a line hasn't resonated quite clearly enough or, or, mm-hmm. or you've missed something, whatever. And then will you go, once that's pitch a lot, you go into the, the sound mix and you do the soundscape, which is amazingly important on Discovery of Witches. The whole of that vampire yes. hearing, mm-hmm. Rob Lane's beautiful score, what the magical notes are and the great, what you're darkening down, what you're beautifying, how rich you want someone's voice to be or not be. Yes. And, and all of that can throw the storytelling. So for me, it's a really living, breathing thing. And that in that it's different from a novel, which is when it's done. And then it's the living, breathing thing in the reader's imagination. This is, right. it, it goes, it flies away from the page. Right. Mm-hmm. Is there any time where you're just like, no, screw it. We're doing my way. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> are you the tiebreaker? <laughs> yeah, I um, do you know, I, it, it never normally comes to that. You normally have all of those conversations before. I think that in the edit, I'm never working on my own in the edit. Obviously, they're the editors, they're the directors, they're the producers, there's Deb, there's Sky. Everyone's looking at it with different levels of the edit is I do a lot in the edit. Everyone's looking at it with different levels of intensity, but it's not a kind of screw it, we'll do it my way because you can show it different ways at that point. You can say, you might be right. Let's look at it like this or let's look at it like that. And that's why I I love the edit. It's not a, there doesn't have to be a kind of hoof. This is how we're doing it. You can just keep trying. It's more of a sculpture instead of a statue. Ah, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm going to use that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there there are scenes in season two that seem plucked straight from the book, quote and all. And of course, our book reader hearts swell at that. But there's some really brilliant adaptation choices, things that you gave us we didn't know we wanted and now love. And now it's some of our favorite scenes. Are there any particular adaptation choices that were made that are your favorites? It's really hard because the book and the adaptation just blend so thoroughly in the end. I... Let me think. I think really my kind of like the adaptation choices that I lean into are really whatever we can do to open everything up. So I love the fact that we were able to make more of what we call the Venice vampires, Jabert and Domenico, for example. I love the fact that we were able to make more of Satu and bring her to life. It's not an adaptation choice, but I think that the casting of Lindsay skews that part enormously. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I think it's really the, it's, I can't think of, you know, one scene where I go, I'm so glad we invented that. I'll keep thinking about it during the podcast, but they, it just comes very, cause I'm intrigued now to think what it would be, but it just, as I said, it's, you have the mothership. The novel will always be the novel. It's mm-hmm. always there. You can always go back to it. The television piece is both a con- continuum and change. It's both novel and it's television. It's something different and it becomes irrevocably twined, entwined. So 
I, I don't think I could even really tell now. I do know that what we try to do, I have a rule of thumb with adaptation, which is that, which sometimes you can, you might puff and pant behind the script a bit to catch up with. But if you are taking a scene, which is a direct, a direct lift from the novel. You're taking a scene where it's very obviously a, a scene between four characters and it's there to get a particular character or narrative point or whatever across. Don't change the dialogue. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not, you, know, you might need to give more lines to someone else, less to someone. You might want to enhance or shave a bit here, but don't rewrite the scene generally. If yeah. it's not an adaptation isn't about putting everything into the adapter's own words. I think sometimes they do need to do a draft with that in mind. They are just doing it a bit generally because they're feeling, it's almost like they're feeling their way across the bottom of the ocean with their bare feet in order to work out what they're doing. And then after that, we always do what I call a book pass where we just go through and check and think, is this being done generally? How can we be more specific? What can we use and what can't we use? And, and so we try and you know, keep to what the characters really said, because that's, that's the novel. That's what Mm. they really said where we can. But obviously if you're, you've got a scene which is completely made up because it's getting you from A to B in a different way, then, you know, it's, then that's very different. As a follow up to that is the scene that we see in episode one with Diana and Kit Marlowe at the fireplace at the close of the episode, it was, is a completely new scene. Yeah. Was that a get from A to B type scene or was that more no. of an enhancement of the his yeah. character? Yeah. Yeah, it was an enhancement of his character and trying to explain what that was about trying to get an audience. It was actually really to try and get an audience inside Diana's head of how difficult it is. We were absolutely fascinated by the idea that Diana was being pole vaulted or pole vaulted herself into a mm-hmm. world where everyone else understood the rules but her. And I don't mean the rules of mm-hmm. social decorum. I meant the rules of relationships. They understood who meant what to whom and why. And and actually what a dangerous place it was for her. Mm-hmm. We weren't able to do, actually, it's why deep would get all that delicious stuff, which is described in the book where Diana's vaccinated before she goes through it. The kind of detail of preparation and so much of that. And there's often quite a lot of detail, mm-hmm. often around the Bishop House, that we just can't include because you'd love to. That is a whole episode sort of thing. And so what we were trying what we were trying to do was frequently in season two is showing is find ways to reveal to an audience a understanding of the context of one Diana being in this place surrounded by people who knew Matthew Royden, who mm-hmm. is and isn't her husband or right. a mate. And two, to show from Matthew how difficult it is to and awkward it is and stressful it is, harrowing it is to re-inhabit the character that he has long grown out of and Mm -hmm. that it's a danger to him if he doesn't find a way to be Matthew Royden in that time. And so it was about just pinching those corners out of it wherever Mm -hmm. we could to get that across to the viewer. And I also have to thank you for making Kit Marlowe more easy to empathize with the characterization that you brought to the screen, because I've always been a cheerleader of his, and he is a very polarizing character in the book. Yes. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, but fascinating and true demon mm-hmm. and both misunderstanding and misunderstood. But Matthew loved him. And yep. that's a great redeeming feature for both of them, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've got another follow-up, which ties into both the mechanics of how Bad Wolf is and the story. And I thought it just meshed together so perfectly. I mean, diversity above the line in your industry, especially like in the writer's room, has been a hot issue for a while. Yes. And when you look at the staffing for a discovery of witches, you've been so successful about bringing female voices and female vision into the production. Is it something about this particular story or... Is it just an overall vision? Because I, I see in some of the more male-centric stories like Succession, there seems to be more skewed towards male leadership roles, whereas in A Discovery of Witches, it's so very female-centric. 
Yes, they're very sort of different shows. What Jesse does, Jesse has really strong women in his writer's room. Mm -hmm. Any writer's room that contains Lucy Preble is, she's a tremendous equalizing force in and of herself, an extraordinary writer and extraordinary woman. So you can find balance in, in many different ways. But I think I am, you know, Bad Wolf, the majority of Bad Wolf is made up out of women. I like women's voices, Deb Harkness, wrote A Discovery of Witches and with Diana as a character right at the centre there and is a terrific champion of female voices. And so, yes, we need that to be heard and continue to be heard. And women love these novels. I'm not saying that men don't, but I think, you know, we're drawn to them very strongly. So we know that Rob Lane is coming back for season three. We know the show is dropping in 2022. Do you have any other things to tell us about season three? So what can I tell you? Um, so I've told you that uh, it's seven episodes. Um, yeah. It's seven episodes. I can tell you that it's looking very good. This <laughs> 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 early on uh, in post-production, that's great. Yeah, we're in, in editorial at the moment. Oh. And it's oh. got a... Each season's got a very different feel to it. We, I think we found the tone. I was talking about finding the tone in post-production. Mm -hmm. And I think the tone of season one, we found this sort of very dark, sort of sensual vibe that went across all the different story strands. And in, we carried that through into season two, but season two also had, it was a different element of danger. Season two was, I love that feel that it's a period drama, but not really. And so it had a kind of, it, it was slightly more genre. I hate this term, actually. Genre busting is used mm -hmm. a lot in television. And it felt that it was busting out, overspilling with riches somehow. And season three feels, and this might be because, in part because of the time of COVID in which we shot it, but Season three is full of a, like a slightly more brooding thriller-esque neurosis. Everything's coming home. It's dangerous. Benjamin's here. They've got to find, mm. they've got to get the pages of the book. They've got to sort out the issue of blood rage. There's a ticking clock down to the birth of the twins. It's, and are the twins safer inside or outside? Or it, it's, there, there is a slight sense of neuro, thriller-esque angst to it that gives it a different feel yet again. Matthew goes, to New Orleans to potential death. Matthew goes yeah. to visit Ben, you know, to goes to meet Benjamin to potential death. He's constantly putting himself in harm's way. Whereas previously he's put himself in between Diana and harm. Now yeah. he's putting himself in harm's way, which is obviously part of the move. And the separation of those two characters on screen is a difficult one to deal with. It's the, they're like their narrating voices and their obvious statement of their kind of like missing of the other kind of keeps things going in the book. Then, they're not on screen together in the way that we've been used to for a period of time. And that in itself creates its own form of absence and desire, but anxiety as well. And, and, you know, Matthew's ultimate courage to allow his queen not to feel that it has to be constantly defended so Diana can do what she needs to do. Him getting out of the way. Oh, oh. exactly. I'm just going to chill up my spine with it. That exactly. I'm yeah. so excited. Yeah. 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 So there's going to be twins then. <laughs> oh, oh, those twins are magic all of our own. Oh my God. Oh my God. They are. Okay. Yeah. I give you. As, as a, a mom mother. of twins, you would not have cut exactly. that. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I, I can now look back over. Oh, they used to be so small and portable and couldn't answer back. And all you had to do is wave magic threads above them and everything will be fine. Oh, they are completely adorable. Yes, they will melt everyone's heart. The christening. Oh, the christening. Oh, so amazing. Oh, so there's going to be a christening. Oh, look at all this stuff. I know. Oh, my goodness. You're getting you to spill the tea. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have, yeah. I have a, a quick looking back question. So at All Souls Con in Philadelphia, 2017, Lachlan stood before us. We were enthusiastic about to see episode one of season one. He was immensely mm. proud of the work that was done, optimistic mm. about the reception. But knowing what you know now, that it's a smash hit, it goes on to produce seasons two and three. Is there any advice you would give 2017, Jane? Yes. Just, just slow down, I think. Yeah. 
just slow down and it will all be okay. Slow down, trust the book, trust the actors. It will be, it, it will all be okay. It is difficult making a first season. It was, this is not exclusive to Discovery of Witches. It's the same with industry. It's the same with his dark materials. It's the same with succession. It's anxious making. You're wondering the whole time. And I do like that. I love a leap of faith, but I think that you could enjoy it a bit more. You can just calm down enough to enjoy it a bit more, maybe. Yeah. I I think that's Mm -hmm. the approach we took too, because we knew Deb was involved. We knew Bad Wolf was involved. It started as in Deb we trust, and then it evolved into in, in Deb and in Bad Wolf we trust. And we did put our full faith in it and you have not disappointed it's been Ugh. off the charts brilliant Ugh. spectacular just cannot say enough good words and praise and thank you to you i'm so grateful i'm so grateful you saying that and your support because you didn't have to give it it doesn't always work out this way i think it is one of those things when you do an adaptation i always feel that if you if the fans of the book don't like it then i think you're in trouble but you can't make it just for the fans of the book either, because mm-hmm. you yeah. need television audiences tend to be bigger than yes. the number of people yeah. who read a book. And hopefully one of the things I've taken huge pride in is that you can sometimes introduce an audience to a book, whether it's a kind of bleak house or little Dora or the way we live now or sense and sensibility or whatever, or a discovery of witches or his dark materials. It doesn't matter. Sometimes people don't reach easily for books. And that if you show them through screen that this is a story and characters that they can relate to and empathize with, then they will go and read the book too. And television is great, but reading is everything too. You have to get that kind of sweet spot of ensuring that you have been loyal I'm passionate enough, loyal and respectful aren't enough. If that sounds, you're asking a child to remember to, you know, be respectful or something. You just have to sure. organically be passionate enough and committed enough to the, the piece that you've been entrusted to make to, to uphold what it has. And that can be a difficult journey because you can't always have the same great vision of what's being upheld sort of thing. But if you only concentrate on what you're getting on the screen and where you started yeah. from the novel and where you're ending up and you only concentrate on that and you never have any agenda other than that, then normally that passion and, you know, love and admiration and enthusiasm takes you to the right place, I think. Have you found that with fandoms in general? I know you've adapted a few others that had established fandoms. Have you found that in general, that they were accepting of your work Obviously, you're going to have people that are upset about certain things. And how do you deal with that? I guess that's my question. It's life with social media is a very different place. For sure. Because I think previously, I think, for example, if I had made, I brought back this, it's not a book, but I brought back this piece called Doctor Who in 2005. And Doctor Who has got amazing fans, amazingly passionate, committed fans. I was one. My son is one. You understand that when you work on Doctor Who, you're just a guardian for that period of time. Yes. And I love that all of those kind of shows. Mm-hmm. That's really like up my alley. And, but I think if I'd been making Doctor Who, not in 2005, but in 2015, that would have been a very different experience. And I think in some, I knew then that if we made it and the, Doctor Who fans didn't like it, we would really be missing out on something. So you have to take them with you, but without writing it just for them. So, and I have found actually, interestingly, I have found the most difficult have been some of the fans of the classic novels. Um, yes. you know, those Jane who Austen are, fans. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I'm not going to tell you who the most difficult ones were. They were not Jane Austen, but where they, they own every bit. And what you do is it goes back right to something I said at the beginning. It's very hard sometimes when you do these adaptations, mm-hmm. not to feel that you're being reductive in some way. And I think they feel if you do not adapt every single solitary sentence, which you couldn't because it would be 52 hours. And and there's some things that will work on screen and some things that just won't. So you just can't. Mm-hmm. But you can, people can, I think, perhaps feel you've been very reductive. And that's tricky, you know, because they're right. You know, the books are real to them and they've got their own viewpoint. And I don't like not, I don't like not pleasing them. But on the other hand, I've got to make 
I know how to make television drama and I just have to trust that I will make a good piece of television drama that the majority of fans of whatever book I'm adapting at that time will like. Which brings me to a question. Do you have a dream project out there you'd like to get your hands on as far as a book you haven't adapted yet? I do. I can't say what it is though. I do. <laughs> so we'll cross our fingers and put good energy out for you then, whatever it may be. Yes. And at least we know we have something else to look forward to. Yes. Thank you. Yes. I, will, I will take that for sure. Yeah. And since it sounds like you're a big reader, what's on your nightstand right now? Oh, I will. So I am reading three different things at the moment. I am reading a book that actually I was, weirdly, I was sent by someone from Twitter who sent me a copy of a book that I had already bought for myself, which is called Comet Weather by Liz Williams. They thought it would appeal because of the things that Bad Wolf did. I am reading a book which actually Kat, my assistant, gave me to read. At the moment, I am doing a big search for contemporary romance for television. I feel that we need more romance on TV. Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> Often the romance um, is found in period and I want to, mm-hmm. I want to work on that from a contemporary point of view. I think often, certainly in, in British um, television drama, we frequently in our, you know, contemporary pieces hold a mirror up to the way we live now. And it's often quite a kind of gray and cracked and we like our social realism. And I want to hold a mirror up to the way we live now and have what this shines back feel a little more joyful, a little more technicolor, a little more vibrant, a little more happiness filled than perhaps sometimes television drama offers. And I would really love to see what that romantic fiction feel that you get from novels would feel like contemporary on television. And so I'm reading a novel that Kat Taylor, my assistant, gave me to read, thinking that might be adaptable. Can you tell me what, I'm a big romance reader. Can you give me a hint at least as to what it is? Uh, well, I don't think I can. I don't think I can in case we either okay. make a bid for the rights or we don't make a bid for the rights, but I, w- <laughs> I will cross my fingers that I will get my answer in the next cat might, you might get it at cat. You might get it at cat, but I can't say. Okay. Um, uh, then I also, I, I read, I have the novels in different places. The Comet Weather is by my desk. The novel that cat gave me is by my bed. And then I have something that I read on on an iPad. And at the moment, I am reading a PDF of a manuscript for the most brilliant novel that we've been submitted. Bad Wolf's been submitted for potential adaptation. Again, I can't Dang. tell you what that is either. That's really annoying. Very wow. exciting. I guess. Oh. Yeah, we'll ask Kat. We won't tell her. <laughs> we'll ask Kat. Yeah. We won't tell right. yeah. I'll probably yeah. go out and buy the book I don't, if I don't have yeah. it already. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. That will do. I am going to be cheering you so hard to bring more contemporary romance onto the screen because it is so sore lacking right now. It is, isn't it? Well, all of us romance readers are dying for mm. more. Look at what happened with Bridgerton. Yeah, yeah There's exactly. There's an appetite out there. Exactly, definitely. exactly. And I think we're all dying for something joyful. Yes. You know, yes. Happiness. Oh. Even the way people date now and meet now is so different than when we were yeah. coming up. It's yeah. like, yes. via app, swipe left, yeah. swipe what? <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't think that's very romantic. No. no. I'm still into meet cute. I am a meet cute girl. Oh, yeah. I book with that every time. Oh. All right. Jane, I can't tell you how important this interview was. Thank you for granting it oh, to us. God. It's an absolute pleasure. I, I love talking to you. I love talking about these books. I've loved talking to you. Thank you. And I love what you do and all the support you give us. As I said at the start, it really is everything. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for taking on this project. And as Angela said, making our dreams come true. (laughs) It's a pleasure. (laughs) All right, audience, stick with us after the break, and then we'll continue on fangirling and doing what we do. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. You can contact us, send us your thoughts, email us at demonsdiscuss at gmail.com, leave us a voicemail at 360-519-7836, by the way, your carrier rates apply here, or leave one for free on SpeakPipe, speakpipe.com slant demonsdiscuss. Now, if you can't remember any of that, go to go.demonsdiscuss.com slant contact 
and all that information will be there. You can also become a discusser there, fill out the form, and bam, you're a discusser. And the link to join our Facebook group is there too. Visit our main site, demonsdomain.com. And if you really feel like deep diving, go to visit.demonsdomain.com slant master post. And you can read interviews, geek out with weekly geeks about all souls universe. Read about the characters. Keep that geek flag flying, guys. Do you like what we do? Help us fund what we do. Go to patreon.com slant demons discuss. Make sure you follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Demons Discuss. If you're liking what you're hearing and you want to tell the world about it, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We love them. We read them. It's wonderful. Also, it keeps Angela alive, and we need her around, okay? Keep it alive. If you want to check out Bad Wolf, read more about it, you can go to www.bad-wolf.com and visit them on Twitter. They'll be at badwolf underscore TV. I'll have both of those listed in the show notes. So what'd you guys think of that, huh? <gasps> oh my gosh. Wow. I know. I, I am in shock. Did, like Jean said, did that really happen? Did we just really do that? I know. Was yeah, that a dream? We did. did we just stream that? Wow. Yeah, we did. I'm, t- I'm just giddy. I'm so giddy. I mean, I'm so appreciative of everything Jane has done to make a discovery of which has happened from her grabbing the rights to actually producing it and making it picking happen. Picking up the book. <laughs> yes, picking up the book. Um, and I will tweet every now and again, hashtag gratitude. And it's not an empty platitude. It's from the bottom of my heart. Oh, I just get chills. Season three. <sighs> to have her on the podcast was definitely a dream come true. Another dream come true. Yes. <laughs> She's just, what other dreams do I have she can make happen? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I have a pile of books here. Right. <laughs> and how much are we looking forward to season three after that shit? Yes. Huh? Holy oh my God. fucking God. She dropped a couple bombs there where I wasn't yeah. expecting. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. She's giving us new information. Stop everything. Yeah, I still have some atrial fibrillation going from that. You know, I can feel my, my heart's acting up in my chest a little bit there. Oh, wow. Yeah. We would be remiss, though. There's two more people we really need to thank for this and, and that's Liam with Ian Johnson PR and Kat Kat Taylor Jane's incomparable assistant oh yes absolutely yes. thank you so much to both of you for making this happen it was so fascinating and gosh it's so nice to meet a fellow traveler who loves us as much as we do <laughs> and you found a fellow romance fan sort of kind yeah, of <laughs> a, cha- a new champion for romance even better better yes yes the world needs more happy endings you have to send Kat something from the heart of Texas oh Okay. Oh, yeah. I already know what I'm going to get our country music fan. She'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So, guys, I know at the end of episode 10, we told you we were going to do one episode, one or two episodes just with your feedback. That's not happening. So much has changed. And we've gotten so much feedback. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. Yes. Oh, my God. We're not bitching or complaining about you guys' feedback. No, we just opened up the inbox and we were so freaking overwhelmed. Like, what the shit is this? Yeah. <laughs> So what we have decided to do, we're going to do a wrap up episode in the next couple of weeks. You'll, it'll pop up. You'll know when it's on there, especially if you're subscribed. So this is a side note. If you're not subscribed, make sure you subscribe. You don't miss anything. Yeah. Our episodes go directly to your device of choice, be it your phone, be it your computer, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And this way you won't have to worry about, hey, did I miss this episode? Hey, can I... No, you don't need all that in your life. And um, yeah, so what we're going to do, Jean, do you want to explain what we're going to do? It's oh, turned into a thing. It's turned, <laughs> turned into a thing. And I'm so excited because we've got so many enthusiastic discussers and, and we all talked and felt that just doing a wrap up episode might give y'all short shrift. So yeah. since we've got the AMC broadcast of the series coming up in June on regular cable. In the U.S., we have to specify that. In the U.S. So we've got another run for 
first run for all the folks that did not stream. What we will be doing is having a little after party with every episode where we're going to celebrate all of your comments for that particular episode. So if you're commenting on a per episode basis, we'll be hearing from you most of the summer. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and as a part of our wrap up, if some of you guys have just done some wonderful analysis of story arcs and multiple episode comments, those will be kind of the things we'll be pulling on our wrap up episode, looking at the overarching themes and whatnot. And so you're just going to end up getting lots more demons for your book come June. Yeah, (laughs) come June. And this will be public, open to all, not Mm -hmm. just our patrons. And also, what I've decided to do is leave that form open for you all. So if you have a comment or anything before we get to that episode's after party, we'll open up all the new ones that pop up and we'll include it. So there's that too, you know? Give you something else to think about, especially in light of everything you learned today with with our interview with Jane. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I still can't get over it. Oh, Oh I know. What else was I going to say? I don't know. I forgot everything. I know. We're we're just on cloud nine. (laughs) It's going to be fun, though. Our... Our extra episodes with listener feedback is going to be fun because I don't think any of us are ready to let go of season two quite yet. No. Yeah. Go. Yeah. no, no, no Some no. of these episodes might be as short as, you know, maybe 15 minutes. Some of them, depending on the feedback we got for each episode, some might be long. Like, yeah, I've got a feeling episode six may be a long one. <laughs> episode one's going to be long, too. We got a lot oh, yeah. of feedback for that one, too. So keep them coming. I was expecting to close that channel out and just... Just do our little wrap up, but apparently y'all aren't ready to no, let it none go. Of us are ready. None <laughs> no. of us are ready. So that's what we're doing. And I know I put a little editor's note in uh, episode 10. So this is more letting you guys know as far as what we're actually planning to do. So stand by for June. And also, I don't know the timing on this. <laughs> I don't know how it's going to work. We still have to schedule a wrap up episode mm-hmm. covering all 10 episodes. So maybe we'll discuss that after we get offline here. But after that, we're going to go on a break and then we're going to pick up chapter episodes. We're on chapter 12 of the Book of Life. Mm-hmm. So for those those of you who have not read the books and you're interested in reading the books now and you want to follow along with us, I'll put a link in the show notes, slant episode notes, where you can pick up with all of our chapter episodes and follow along with us if you want. Or not. I don't or know. Not. Or not. It's another way to keep the love for Shadow of Night going. I mean, all our chapter episodes are done for that. So if you're you're missing 1591 England, yeah. hop on to those. And you can even go as far back as season one, one because we have all those episodes and we have all the chapters for that because a Discovery of Witches, actually we did five chapters at a time. So there'll be a lot less listening on your part. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those were like the young podcasters we were back then. Yeah. We were worried that we didn't have enough to say on one chapter. Right. <laughs> Feel foolish us. I know. We're that was dumb. We'll, we'll remedy that in the future. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so anything else we have to relate to our dear listeners before we let them go? Thank you for giving us this opportunity because we wouldn't be sitting here today having this conversation with this industry leader if you all hadn't supported our silly little podcast back in the day. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Demon kiss. Oh my God. I'm still getting over it. We'll talk to you (laughs) next time. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye.